Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Sunday Podcast. Today we begin a new three-part series entitled Good Things. In part one, seeing your life through the lens of God's favor, we will learn that God is for us. And now, with the first part of the series, here is Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. We are, we're starting on this first Sunday of October a beautiful brand new series And we're going to call it simply good things. I want to put it on the board, good things. You see the glasses, you see the Bible. We're talking about good things. And uh, if you are a part of this church, a member of this church, it would would behoove you to be a part of the next three Sundays because the next three Sundays we're going to be talking about this very thing right here. I think it's something that everybody needs to get in their spirit. Because what we're going to talk about is seeing your life through the lens of of God's favor. That's what we're going to talk about, seeing your life through the lens of God's favor. And so for the next three Sundays, we're going to talk about it. Now, uh, I'm not going to be lengthy today. I trust that I am decently listenable to. I, I trust that I am decently anointed. And I believe that God's got a word for us today. I really believe that. When I, when I begin to write this and put it together and, and seek the presence of God to get all this stuff and research this stuff and find it and put it together... I just felt good about it. I really, really did because I think that this is the message for God's people in 2015. I really believe that. I believe it's our message right now. It's the message for God, for us, and God's going to bless us. So everybody say 2015. 2015. God's got good things. things. Matthew 7 and 11 says this. It says this. Matthew 7 and 11 said, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, How much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give, everybody say, good things things. to those who ask Him? I want you to understand this. If you don't understand anything else I say today, God is for you. Say, God's for me. me. Hell is against me. me. So I got one in one. I cast the deciding vote. What do I want in my life? What do I want in my life? Do I want good things or do I want hell to rule my life for the rest of my days? I want the good things of God. Amen? Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered, as I have, what the good things really are and why it seems some people receive more good things in their lives than others do? Perhaps you thought good things are for everyone else but you, that you have done something wrong or bad and are no longer on God's good side. You're in his doghouse. He doesn't like you anymore. A lot of people still don't understand the important concept of God's favor. Let me say something. When we're unaware of the extent of God's favor, we are certain to limit it by comparing it to human kindness. And I will say this, that human kindness, even though it's great and wonderful in our lives, it never compares to the favor of Almighty God. Amen. These two are far from each other on the comparison chart, not even on the same chart. The psalmist said, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord. Johnny Nash sang a song in the 70s. It went something like this. I'm not going to sing it all. I'm not even going to sing it. I'm just going to tell you what it is. I can see clearly now. The rain is gone. 
Amen. I can see all obstacles in my way. I can see them now. So I want to ask you today in the first part of this message, am I seeing clearly? Are we seeing clearly? I went to a sunglass store many years ago and uh, with an ordinary pair of Walmart, Kmart sunglasses on. Now, I thought they were cool or I wouldn't have bought them. They looked good on my head. They made my bald head look just real nice. And a guy asked me when I walked in, he said, sir, have you ever been introduced to polarized sunglasses? And I said, hey, man, all sunglasses are the same. I'm just looking for some neat frames that will make me look neater. And he said, no, 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 no. You need polarized. And he just put them out there in my hand. He said, you need these. Try these on. Now, these are not the glasses, but these are the ones I wear now. He said, you need to try these on. So he, so he, he shoved these glasses out here to me. And, and the, 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 the place that I went in, the sunglass shop, had an outside window. And he said, I want you to put your sunglasses on. I want you to look because yours are all the same. You know, they're all the same. Put your all the same sunshades on. That's got the nice fr- uh, frames on them. And then when you get through, put these on. He said, these are polarized. So I put mine on and I put his on. And when I put them on, no cameras, please, no cameras. <laughs> when I put, when, get a life. <laughs> trying to preach. So when I put them on, I was overwhelmed. I was polarized that day. And I will never, ever be the same. Now, since then, since that day, I have studied and learned how polarized glasses work. See, there are vertical lines of light, and then there's horizontal lines of light in our, in our world. And the polarized lens, folks, when you put them on, eliminates all the horizontal lines. I think that's good in a lot of aspects, which cuts out 100% of reflect, reflected light. And this allows you to see what's behind or beyond the glare that some sunshades cannot cut out. For example, if you're in a boat and you, you know that there's, and you assume that there's fish beneath the water surface, but you don't actually see them due to the reflective glare of the sun shining on the water. However, if you put these polarized glasses on and you look down into the water, there's no glare. And you can see life moving beneath the surface of the water. Pretty cool. If you put these things on, the glare, the thing that is stopping you from seeing distance, is taken away because these remove the horizontal lines of light. And you can get past the glare and you can get a full view, past the distortion, get a full view of what's out there. Now I'm getting consumed with these glasses. I've got to put them down. Point being... There's a huge difference, folks, in assuming God is good and seeing the evidence of God's goodness. Let me say it again. There's a huge difference in assuming God is good and seeing the evidence of his goodness. So, what if I, or what if you could train your eyes to see the good? What if you could train your eyes to eliminate the glare of the negative in your life? What if you could cut through the glaring issues of life and see God's constant presence in his extravagant goodness? You know, Moses was in the cleft of the rock one day and he asked to see the Lord's glory. Watch this now. 
And the Lord said, Moses, I'm going to let my presence pass by you. And I'm going to show you my goodness. He didn't say glory. He said goodness. Because God had rather show his people his goodness any day than to show them his glory. He wants you to understand that he is a good God. And sometimes we don't see the goodness of God. And we see the negative things. Like one day I was at a convention and I was standing with a group of guys and I really had to go to the restroom. I'm sorry to say that publicly, but I needed to go. And so I said, oh, there's one right here. So I just went in it. And when I got in there, I noticed that the, the furniture wasn't right for a men's restroom. You know what I'm saying? The facilities just wasn't adorned right. And I'm in there and a woman walks in. Let me call her a lady. And she asked politely, what are you doing in here, sir? Which I responded, I'm using the bathroom. Duh. Only I didn't say duh. (laughs) Then she said, still politely, this is a lady's bathroom. And I was overwhelmed. I turned red. It dawned on me. That's the reason it didn't have the proper men's facilities. As I left embarrassed, I looked again at the outside of the door and it clearly said women. How did I not see that sign? How did I not do that? That's the only time I've ever done it because now I'll go up and I'll say, mm, M-E-N. <laughs> people, wonder, people wonder about their faith and why they don't have more. Some even pray for more faith, not realizing, hear me now, that faith comes to us through our senses. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing. That's a sense. And hearing by the word of the Lord. So if all you hear, folks, all week is negative, all you're going to see and talk is negative. Because it could be a spouse talking negatively to you, to be a neighbor, could be a person at work, maybe a pastor somewhere in a church, maybe the nightly news. You know, the nightly news don't give good news anymore because it doesn't sell. But you understand, negative comes in, it's negative out. And when negative comes in and negative out, it's negative sight. But the same with positive things in life. If it's positive in, it's positive out. And it's positive sight. Cynics love to accuse optimistic people of being idealistic. And they see life unrealistically. I think it's just the opposite though. I believe the positive reality is often blocked from a person's view by people who are negative in life. It's not that people don't want to see good things, folks. They just can't see them because they have a distorted view of reality. And they're seeing too much horizontal light and not seeing enough vertical light of the Lord shining in his, in his world. One of the greatest deceptions of our times is the idea that goodness and good things exist on their own. Without origin, aside and apart from God. The truth is that God is the source Of all goodness. And he is the source of all good things. The Bible said every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light. In whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. We have to learn that folks to see that. And if you don't learn that you may never see that. 2 Kings chapter 6 tells us about a prophet named Elisha. 
who had a servant, and we know his name now, was a Gehazi. And they were in a city. And the servant looked out to the hills, and he saw nothing but the enemy surrounding the hills of the city. And Elisha said, son, here, put these on. (laughs) Put these on, son. You're looking through the wrong lens of life. Because they that are with us are more than they that are with them. And the thing you have to do is cut out some horizontal negatives in your life to see the vertical power and the presence and the goodness of God shining down in your world. God wants you to see things the way he designed things to be seen. So I want to talk now about the turnaround. I'm just like I'm I'm changing channels here, the turnaround. Jeremiah 32 and 40 says, I will make an everlasting covenant with them and I will never stop doing good to them. Everybody say, he'll never stop. He'll never stop doing good. I've been in ministry 45 years, folks. I know you think, you know, I'm just 50 and so I started, yes, I started when I was about five. I'm messing with you. I'm really 52. No, I'm going to go ahead and admit it. I'm 59. So that's the last as high as I'm going. And the in process human being longer than that. I have a question. What do you think that God thinks about you today? What do you think? What do you think that God thinks about you? And I know some of you would say, well, some days it's pretty good, Pastor. Some days I'm really bad. Some days I'm a mixture of good and bad. But then I get ugly, good, bad, and ugly. And I guess that God thinks of me, it kind of depends on my behavior versus equals his approval. So how I behave equals how he approves of me and gives me approval. See, God has a favor faucet. Many people think, and he turns it off and on. So when I fuss at my husband, the faucet goes off. When I fuss at my wife, the faucet goes off. But when I bless my wife, bless my husband, the faucet turns on. When I get a little road rage, hello. I had a 100-pound woman get mad at me the other day. She had a right to. I was driving, and I was over in that lane, and she honked at me and shook her, the right one. She shook the right finger at me. She shook that finger and said, get back in your lane. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Some people call in sick when they're not sick. You think God turns the favor faucet off? He might put his hand on it. No, I'm teasing. And then you find, wind up playing golf that day. Some people believe God turns the favor faucet to the down position. He turns it off when things are not good and good in their life. And these kinds of thoughts are what I call the termites of trust in our relationship with God. They'll absolutely eat your mind away. See, most, most folks hear the word favor and they associate it with God. They assume that it's like a frequent flyer program, that the more you're in the church, the more, the longer you are, the, and, 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 and you can be tapped into once you have logged enough miles and you get the best seat, you get access to the travel lounge and you get other perks. However, if I can use airline analogy to God's favor, God's favor is better understood by what happens when you're flying as a companion. To someone who has earned the top status of frequent flyer program and has passed along the benefits to you. You understand that? And we have a Savior 
who has earned, hallelujah, everything that we need in our life. And the problem is we have not decided to be his companion on the flight from earth to glory. We're trying to do this ourselves. I got, I love my kids. I really do. I love my kids. I'm going to say that a whole lot in this sermon. I love my kids. My kids are awesome. My three girls, they're just incredible kids. And, uh, and, and their, their husbands are all wonderful. They're, they're just wonderful guys. I, I, I couldn't, couldn't have hand-picked better son-in-laws. I just wish that some of them wouldn't root for Alabama football and stuff like that. But, <laughs> but they are winning. Hallelujah. But three years ago, I, I, I told my kids one Sunday night, we have Sunday night blessing night at our house. I told my kids, I said, kids, I'm going to give you, a, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to bless y'all. What, Dad? I'm going to take y'all to Hawaii on a vacation. Dad, what? Yeah, we're going to do it, kids. And, and they start saying, Dad, you, you know, Dad, we, we can't do that. I said, I didn't say I was going to make you pay. I said, I'm going to take you on a vacation. Now, I know you folks are thinking, boy, that pastor's got a lot of money. Well, I tell you what, I got more than I had when I pastored a little old church in Dallas, Texas that had 15 people in it. But it wasn't about the money. It was about what I had acquired. See, I had flown enough. I had spent enough money over the last eight or 10 years. I had about a million points on American Express. And I could fly all my kids for 750,000 of them. And being a good father that I was, I wasn't ashamed and, and messed up to spend 750000 on these kids because they're my kids. I never spent negative money on them. I wanted to bless my children. So we all got on the plane and I said, turn left instead of right. You're going first class, kids. And when they got there, they said, oh, woo. They started walking. I mean, it was like heaven on earth. And not a one of them called and said, no, daddy, I'm not going if I can't pay. I'm going to stay home. I'm going to either pay or stay. No, when they realized that the father had purchased, had spent his life purchasing something that they could be blessed with one day. I'm preaching right now. They said, we'll get on that plane. I'm telling you, some of you need to get on the plane. You need to get in first class. You need to step up your game because there's a heavenly father that loves you with everything that's in his heart and life and he gave himself for you. Amen. See, the actual challenge for us is not gaining God's approval. It's accepting God's approval. Wow. In the Old Testament, God seemed to say, I've had it with these people. And here's the reason why. In times of abundance in the Old Testament, those people drifted spiritually. And God turned away from them. And the nation regressed in power and plummeted in adversity. And the people responded to the message when God sent a prophet or sent a judge. And they turned back to God. And his favor turned back to them. And they enjoyed seasons of abundance. But then the people drifted away again. And returned to point A. And the cycle continued. And God continued to bless them even during their bad action time. His favor stayed with them. In fact, i gotta, I got to share something with you guys. When Israel came out of Egypt, led by Moses, across the Red Sea, two and a half million walked out. And God knew when they crossed the Red Sea, they wasn't going in. He already knew the distant future. He knew it. 
But you know what he did? Even though they all died, the people that went into the promised land were all born in the wilderness, except for Joshua and Caleb. They all died in the wilderness. But you know what God did? He never let manna quit falling from heaven. He never let the water keep, stop coming out of the rock. He never took their clothes and said, these are going to be old clothes. Their clothes stayed like new for 40 years. And you know what? Their shoes were like iron. And a cloud covered them by day and a pillar of fire by night because they're in a desert. Because God took care of his end of the bargain. Even though people weren't going to succeed in stepping into the land of promise, he kept up his bargain because his favor stayed with them at least until history repeated itself. Then something happened that changed this pattern once and for all on God's end of the things. It's as if he decided, I'm not going to do this anymore. I have turned away because you have turned away and I am done with this. Hear me. He could have turned away permanently. I'm preaching now. But in his grace... He chose to turn toward us permanently. No more turning away for our God. No more withdrawing from man for seasons or periods of time. It was a supreme moment in history. And it was a very, very good thing. So, my next point is, so it produced the best year ever. One Sabbath morning, Jesus went to the synagogue in his hometown, Nazareth. And he read a quotation from the prophet Isaiah that I believe clearly defined his mission. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Say the year of the Lord's favor. What exactly did he mean by that? Most success coaches Recommend that if you want to succeed in life, you need to have a mission statement. They say the more specific it is, the better. In fact, it should be in you. No matter where you are or what time it is, if somebody wakes you up at 3 in the morning, you all stand up and say, my mission statement is. You need to have it every day. Because when you know your mission, hallelujah, when you know your purpose, hell has a hard time interrupting that. Are you with me today? I'm trying to get you to see the favor of God that he has for you. So what is the year of the Lord's favor? Nice sounding words, but what do they mean? What does it have to do with God's favor in my life? People who heard him knew he spoke of the year of Jubilee, a special time on the Jewish calendar that came around every 50 years. In fact, we're experiencing one now. In Bible times, people could not, who could not pay their bills would be forced to work as slaves for those who they owed money to. Debts also often forced families to send their children as slaves to people to whom they owed money. In other scenarios, the children stayed home and mom and dad went to work off the debt. Sometimes the debt was government taxes and those people who owed could not pay went to a debtor's prison. But all that changed in the year of Jubilee. Hear me. The debt got canceled. The debt slaves and prisoners were set free. Land lost in foreclosure was returned to the original owners of their family. So that's why the year of Jubilee was a big celebration. You could see why. And when Jesus made this announcement to bring the, the, the past, the year of Jubilee, he was not referring to a calendar year. He was referring to a brand new season. 
He was referring to a brand new era in time. A new chapter in the story of God's grace. He simply used the reference year of favor as a picture of his mission on earth. This on again, off again system was over. It would be replaced by a never ending, ongoing commitment of God's favor to all mankind. Can you clap your hands and say amen to that? That's good stuff. Thank you, Lord. There's a popular show on TV. My wife records it. If she can't watch it, she'll watch it sometime at 12 midnight and come to bed at one. It's called The Voice. And there's four judges, four judges in The Voice. And those judges all sit in chairs with their back to the person, the contestant who's going to come out and sing. So they don't know what they look like. They don't know where they're from. They honestly don't. They don't know anything about them. They just know that they're there to judge them. And the object of the singer is to get the judges to turn their chair around. God, that would have to be scary when nobody turned around and you're singing your heart out. But most of the time, at least one will turn. But the moment that judge punches his or her button to turn around to face the contestant, they immediately, folks, leave the unbiased evaluation of the individual's talent and immediately become an unabashed supporter committed to making the singer a success. And the judge is saying, I have heard enough. Now I want to go from being your judge to helping you to become everything that you can be in life. And they fight. They literally have battles with words over who gets this person. I love it. This is the picture of what it looked like when God turned his favor toward us. He hit the button and he said, I've heard enough. And he turned in our direction and he said, I am for you. I'm ready to help you become everything that I created you to be. And do you know when the chair turned? The chair turned at a place called Calvary. Come on. I've never been excited about preaching Calvary like today. But he turned and looked at us and he said, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you come from. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. I'm going to save them. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to make them be better than they ever imagined they could be in life. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Paul said, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Forgive me for getting loud. God's favor is not on today and off tomorrow. His favor is not based on him being in a good mood. His favor is not better at Christmas than it is at Halloween. His favor is good every day. In fact, one of the best statements I'll make in this message is right now, you don't have to worry about falling out of favor because of failure. Everybody fails. Everybody makes mistakes. So I say, give up on the premise and start standing on the promise. Niagara Falls is a beautiful place. Put the picture up there, please, Niagara. There it is. 
Patty and I went there on one of our anniversary trips. And we stood up underneath. We stood up underneath the falls in a little area you can go. And the falls comes over you and you're underneath and you hear this tumultuous sound. It's absolutely unbelievable the massiveness of that fall. And it's not, it's not the same water recycled. It's fresh water. And it's been going on for hundreds of years. So I have a crack staff that does research for me. Her name is Patty. <laughs> and she does research for me. And I said, baby, I want you to figure out, I want you to find out how much water goes over those falls every minute. Would you find out for me? And so I went on to sleep. I forgot I'd told her. She came to bed as she does always late. She hit me. She said, I found your answer. I said, about what? <laughs> she said, the Niagara Falls. I found your answer. I said, what is it? She said, baby, it's going to blow your mind. And I couldn't hardly go to sleep again after she told me. She said, 3,160 tons of water per second comes over the falls. 3,160 tons times 2,000 is 6,320,000 pounds of water every second. And I got to thinking, and it's fresh, and it's not recycled, it's not dirty water, it's beautiful water. It's water that comes from the snows that lands on the mountains and breaks into tributaries and little rivulets and they come together and they form this massive river and this river goes over the falls at 3,160 tons per second. And then I thought, there's a God that made that falls. So a preacher on this Sunday in 2015 could talk about how much water comes over the falls. And a God is saying, you think that's big. You think, ah, hallelujah. You think that's awesome. You wait till I turn my faucet on you. You wait till I turn this favor faucet on. You wait. You just wait. If you'll just understand and start seeing that I am for you and not against you. That I died for you. I gave it all. Get on board. Let's go somewhere together. Hallelujah. Psalms 30 and 5 says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. So my last point today, I'm going to preach about it a little bit here, is no, it really is true. No, really, it's true. What do you mean, Pastor. Listen to me. Did I tell you I love my kids? We've had so much fun in life. Our daughters have been a load of fun. I remember when we were doing the Six Flag things and the Wally World stuff. and I remember all that time. And so I wanted to be the cool dad, you know. I wanted to be the dad. I wanted to be cool. So, my girls, no cameras, please, no cameras. People think I'm crazy. You know the sermon. I put these polarized lenses on, and I said, well, you know, 
People say I can't sing, but I think I can. I'm going to go in one of these recording studios down there at, down there at San Antonio, Six Flags over San Antonio. I'm going to go down there. So I went into this recording studio, and I said, girls, I'm going to make you all a tape, and I'm gonna, I want you all to love it the rest of your life. Your daddy's singing for you. And maybe one day when I'm dead and gone, you'll pull it up, and you'll get another thrill of my gorgeous voice. And I went in, and I chose that old Sam and Dave song. Just take them old records off the shelf. I said and listened to them all by myself. That same music ain't got the same soul. Just like that old time of rock and roll. Just like that old time of rock and roll. Don't clap. The kind of music just soothes a soul. I'm reminiscing about the days of old. Just like that all-time rock and roll. But the problem was, I had a problem, I had a problem. Here's the problem. The problem was, the problem was, is that, hmm, I got the song in a higher key than I could sing it. And my voice lost its punch on the second verse. And I sounded like, just like an old time rock and roll. My girls, so help me God, the glasses were gone now. I was choking, I was struggling. My girls got so tickled, all four of them, they fell against the wall. They couldn't stand up. They fell against the wall and just went down the wall and started beating the floor, laughing at their father because I had lost it all. And when they gave me the record, I broke it and threw it away. I said, I'll never do it again. And I never have. But we had so much fun. I remember taking our girls on vacations. And those girls would get in that back seat. And they'd go to giggling, get laughing, get tickled. And they'd get on my nerves. It bothered me. Because it just kept getting louder and... <laughs> and they'd put, they'd put their hands up to see who could take it the longest, who could tickle them, and who could take it the longest and stand it. And they'd tickle and say, ah, And I'm up there trying to drive. I honestly went to a place and said, do you have those glass things you can put between the front seat and the back seat? I had to do police. I did that to police cars so I could lock my kids in the back and they can have all the fun they want and I can still drive insanity. I never, I, I, I threatened them one time, if you kids don't quit being so happy, I'm going to have to whip you when I get home. <laughs> it's funny. We had so much fun. And now I can't believe my youngest is 29 and she already had a baby and he's already starting to walk and how life moves. Let me conclude. But the greatest moment with those kids, the greatest moment with those kids, the greatest moment was when they all learned to drive. Wow. Wow, it was awesome. Because every one of them had this independence in them. They all have it, and their husbands know it now. <laughs> and when they got those learner permits, you know, every one of them, they'd want to drive home from church. And so I was a designator, guinea pig over here on the right side. And if I said anything about, baby, there's a stop sign. Daddy, I see it. 
I see it, Dad. Okay, okay, okay. I see it, Dad. I got this. I got this. If I heard I got this one time, I heard it a thousand times. I got this, Dad. I got this. The next one got her learner's permit. I got this, Dad. Every one of them. I said, this is like an echo. (laughs) And the last one, I got this. Okay, so then I bought them cars. Now, there wasn't fancy cars. One of them got a little six-cylinder Mustang, and one of them got a, a, a Volkswagen Bug. And the other got a little cabrio convertible. She wanted a convertible. It was a Volkswagen also. And they just thought they had just died and gone to heaven. You with me? Every one of them wrecked their cars. (laughs) Not once. Not twice. Oh, you're with me? Eight times three girls wrecked their cars. So I'd get a call. Patty would get a call. She'd call me and say, baby, we've got to go to the corner of so-and-so and so-and-so. Kate's had a wreck. Cass had a wreck. Missy's had a wreck. Missy even let her boyfriend drive her car, and I told her never do that, and he wrecked it. So we'd get to the corner, and I'd get out of the car, and the first thing I'd want to know is, are you okay? Are you all right, baby? You all right? You all right? Now, I'm not the world's best father, but the last thing I wanted to do was fuss at those girls. I mean, if, if State Farm dropped us, we'd go to Lords of London. Somebody would insure us. <laughs> we were on the verge many times of being kicked out of but I'd walk up and I never, I never let this come out of my mouth. I should have never let you learn to drive. I never said, I wish to God a thousand times that you never got a license. So you got it, huh? You got it, huh? You got it, you got it, you got it. <laughs> oh, the things you wanted to say. But I never did. My girls were always crying when I got there. Dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, I'm so sorry. And I would always hug them and embrace them. And I would say, listen, baby, it's just a vehicle. You're a human being. You're my kid. And honest to God, Patty will tell you it's the truth. She never was upset. We never got upset with our girls. We just were so afraid when we got there something was going to be wrong with them. But when we got there and it's all right, we say, pick yourself up. Okay, tow truck, you can take it away now. And we'd take her home and we'd love on her. We'd comfort her. Hey, I'm just an earthly father. If I know how to give my kids. Don't you think your heavenly father wants to give you good things? Huh? Don't you think your heavenly father? Don't you think your heavenly father wants to give you some good stuff? Come on. Anybody want some good things in your life? I tell you what you got to do. You got to quit striving for it. You got to get on board. He's already paid the fare. Come on. You got to start trusting him. You got to put your glasses on and eliminate the negative and the glare in your life and see the glory of the vertical transition of God's power and his presence and his goodness on your life. You've got to do some things. You've got to step into this realm and say, God, I want to see things like I've never seen them in my life. Would somebody shout unto God and give him a voice of triumph of praise right now? Would you do that? Would you do that? Oh, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me close. Randy, if you'd help me. I got a little more story to tell. My wife's had a daddy. She's got a mother. Her dad's passed on. He's one of my best friends. He loved me like nobody else. He was like a dad to me. Her mother, she's got a brother, pastors a great church in Grace, and another brother pastors that same church, great church at Grace, and all four of them have wrecked a car of mine. <laughs> so you think you've got trouble, huh? <laughs> nice cars. One of them decided he's going to shut the door just by his backside, so he just, mm, and a dent just kind of, he kind of... <laughs> He kind of mooned the car, and the car said, Hello, you moon me, I'll moon you back now. <laughs> Just took $1,200 to fix it, no big deal. But I still love him. Because not only is the Lord your father, he's also your brother. He'll be there for you. Listen to me. This is the first week of what I call good things. We're going to go deeper than you could ever imagine the next couple of weeks. But I want to tell you something. I just want you to see things in a different light when you walk out of here today. I want you to understand that God's not against you. That God is for you. And favor is in the house right now. I had people walk up. I had people walk up after first service. And they said, Pastor, I didn't come down for prayer. But I claimed in my pew. I claimed it in my pew. That favor is going to be on our house and we're going to see favor in every way that we look. We're going to see favor in our lives, favor in our lives, favor in our lives. you got to understand it, folks. God's got it for you. He's not turning his back on you. He's looking at you and saying, I love you and I forgive you and you're my child. I preached real bad one night when I was a young preacher. I was in a little old church, had about 35 people. I didn't get breaks First, in my first of my ministry, the breaks came later. I had to work real hard and preach real hard for a long time, and all of a sudden, God just opened doors for me. But I went down to the Sabine River. I was preaching in Louisiana, and I had my Bible in my hand, and I was going to throw it in the Sabine and say, God, I'm not going to leave the church. I'm just not going to preach anymore. I just, I'm going to throw that Bible. Now, I wish I could say that God stopped my hand. It was miraculous, and just like he stopped Abraham's knife when he was going to stab Isaac, but that didn't happen. But when I reared back, God said, they didn't all follow me either. They didn't all accept my sacrifice either when I sent my son to die. I said, oh, yeah, God. He said, best thing for you to do is take that Bible back to your place that you're staying and get it and understand that I love you and I'm going to bless you all the rest of your life. Listen. The Bible said, will he find faith when he comes? Jesus told Simon, he said, Simon, I prayed for you that your faith, faith, not that you wouldn't fail, but your faith fail not. You're going to have failures. You're going to fall down. You got to get up. You got to get back up because he wants you to get up. One of the best scriptures in the Old Testament is Micah 7 and 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, not if I fall, but when I fall, I shall arise. And though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light unto me. We're all going to fail. We're all going to fall. We're going to think thoughts, say words, do things, have actions that are not pleasing to God. But God still loves you. And when he gets to the scene of that accident, he's going to hug you up and say, ah, it's all right. We can take care of that. We've got to get you right. And God will wrap his arms around you and he'll love on you. Because that's the kind of God he is. 
Everybody say he wants to give us good things. Stand to your feet all over the house. You've been an awesome, awesome audience today. Would you clap your hands for the glory of the Lord right now? Amen. Amen. Somebody in first service said I should have preached all the second service with my shades on. It would have made it more effective. I didn't. But I'm so glad I got polarized one day. I'm so glad I understood what it meant to get past the glare of life. Now, I'm going to give you an opportunity, some of you. It's the first Sunday. But we've preached on good things. And I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come down, the prayer partners to come. We do this all the time. We always give people an opportunity to pray. And the altars have always been very full and very open in this service because people love to come and pray. It doesn't mean you're lost. You know that. I don't preach that way. It doesn't mean you're lost. It doesn't mean you're, you're, you're staggering in life. It just means I need, I need my eyes to be enlightened. I need help in my life. I need some help in my life. I need some help. I need some destiny in my life. Would you mind coming right now? Every head bowed, never eye closed. Nobody looking, nobody looking around. But would you bow your heads? And those that would like to come down, would you stream down to the front right now? Ushers, if you'll help us in the aisle. And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.